This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. You know, it doesn't take much more than knowing that the greatest Jew who ever lived, otherwise known as Moses, doesn't take much more to know what the goal is. Because because if Moses is the greatest Jew that ever lived, the greatest leader, the greatest rabbi, yeah, he's kind of like the pinnacle of like top level you can achieve as a Jewish person. Well, the, we only know one thing about him, and that one thing that we know about Moses is that he was very... Humble. Humble, very good. The only thing we knew he was humble. And what does it mean to be humble? In What is the Jewish definition of humility? Well, it's certainly not that you're nothing. And that you're, you're like you're a big nobody or something like that. Like there's a there's a Gentile definition of humble. The Gentile definition of humble is that you're you're no one. And meaning like you're you're nothing. And the Jewish definition is you're totally awesome, and all of your awesomeness comes from God. You're totally awesome. Your awesomeness comes from God. God doesn't create garbage. And you are created in the image of God which makes you not only awesome, but it gives you like, you have like supernatural powers. You're like, you got supernatural powers if you're created in the image of God. And what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Created in the image of God means that you are, that you are created in the image of the way God creates the world, which is the ten spheros, which are these super powerful creative beams that everything's made of. And because God doesn't have an image, right? Does God have an image? No. What's one of the Rambam's principles of faith? That God has no image. Which is very strange because the Torah says we're created in his image. So how do you understand it? The answer is, is we are created in the image of God's creative power. In the ways that God created the world, we were created. And those ways are actually built into our our, uh, physiology. Meaning that there are three intellectuals, which are Chachma, Bin, and Das, and there's, and then there's three interpersonals, which are Chesgevur, Tiferes, which are kind of action attributes, and then we have three uh, more ways, which are the more instinct part of a person is the right leg, left leg, and genital region, which is Chesgevur and Yisod, and then the and then lastly is Malchus, which is the the feet, the earth where we connect with the earth. You have a question? What's the difference between Chachma Bin and Das? They all pretty much translate into the same thing. Yeah, they, they have nothing to do with each other, um, but I'll answer your question. Chachma Bin and Das are distinguished by the following. You're going to write, or are you just going for pure memory? Because I'm going to ask you this as a test question in two weeks. Okay, Chachma is, uh, Chachma is the associative mind. Associative mind? Associative mind means it just kind of flows with, associates this with that, with that, with that, with that, with that. When you have a conversation with someone, that's associative. You know, the associative mind. Have you ever talked to somebody and you say to each other, how did we ever get on this subject? But if you trace it back, you'd see that this was associated with this, which was associated with this, which was associated with that. It's the flowing mind, the mind in full flow. That's Chachma. Bina is the analytical mind. That is not involved in flow. That's involved in 
drilling in to, to understand something in all of its detail. That is not associative. You're not changing subjects. You're very much on one subject, and you're going to go into the detail of that subject. That's Bina. So the Bina is the mind that's called the, the uh, analytical mind. Got it? Analytical mind. And then the third is Das. And Das is the decisive mind. Because when you were in the Chachma mind, before you started analyzing something, you, there was a point to it all, meaning you were, you're going somewhere with that thought, hopefully, and where you're going to be going with that thought is Das. Das is where you're going with the thought. For example, uh, I have my mind flowing about at what I could do with the extra 20 hours I have in Israel. So, hmm, a lot of things I could do, and I'll, that's my associative mind. My, then my... my uh, analytical mind's going to focus on one specifically and just, well, how long does that take? And where would I have to go to do that? And do I have the money to pay for that? And, and uh, do I have the time allotted for that? And will I be able to get that done? And, uh, and how is it going to affect the rest of my schedule before I fly? That's, that's all. What kind of mind is that? Analytical. Because I'm focusing in on one of those ideas. Das is when I've built a schedule. Now I know my schedule till I leave the country. And Das is the decisive mind where I took all of those ideas and all the analysis of each of those ideas and the time allotted and the money expense and everything just to make sure I could handle it in a practical way. And then, but that final schedule that I create for the rest of my, my trip to Israel in that last 20 hours is Das. Das is the, the actual itinerary. Clear? Got it? Excellent. So you'll never have to ask again. I'm happy you asked, by the way. It's not I'm complaining you asked. But I, I just want it to be clear because people love to not understand Chachma bin and Das. Meaning they don't love to not understand it, but like they've heard it a million times and they never quite got their finger on it. So I like to teach esoteric knowledge in a very clear way. So you got it. Good. Set and forget. Don't forget what I taught. Forget the fact that it was that it mystified you, because I'm I'm really into demystifying the mystiful, mystified. Okay, now um, back to us is that Moses was the humblest person ever lived, and the Gentile version of humility is to be like nothing, to be like nobody, and the whereas the Jewish definition is what that you are. Awesome. awesome. And who made you that way? God. God. So are you the source of your awesomeness? No. What's that make you? Humble. Understand? That that makes you humble. If you're great at something, what's your name back there in the Jersey thing? Looking thing? What's your name? Moses. Moses? <laughs> yeah. Moshe, I figured. So, nice to meet you, Moshe. Um, if you're great at something, Moshe, you must you must perform greatly in that. Take pride in the fact that God gave you this gift. You don't have to take your own personal pride because the only reason you can do it great is because God's afforded you the, that ability 
So you celebrate in your skill sets. They're God-given. And for you to ever say you're nothing and go into that false form of humility, which sometimes creeps into the Jewish world, if you, if you let yourself go there, you have spat in the face of God. It's, it's like spitting in the face of God. You have to live your life awesome. Awesome. You're amazing. You got that? If I took two jumper cables, what's your name? Sean. Sean, if I took two jumper cables and hooked them onto your earlobes, yeah, we could power the whole city off your amazing, awesome energy. You're amazing. Any part of you that says you're not amazing, everybody, what's your name? Lauren. Lauren, anyone who says anything in you that says anything but how awesome you are, you need to seriously drop that like a hot potato. Yeah, that is an appendage not worth having. And it's and it's spitting in the face of your creator. Now, that doesn't mean you're good at everything. doesn't mean you're good at everything. I, I found in my own life that I am not a jack of all trades. There are things I'm good at, and almost everything I'm good at is at the great expense of the opposite type of thing. For example, Chochmah, my flow mind, it just flows like nobody's business. I can flow and flow and flow. And, but what's the opposite of flow? Like this is flow. What's the opposite of flow? What is this? This is a structure. And there's a structure holding it. So I don't do so hot with structure. Not naturally. I rely on certain technologies and, and uh, you know, like a secretary and people helping me implement things. Like Tuvia over here helps me implement. And, uh, and various other people that are on staff helping me implement my life. Structure. And so, you know, it, the funny thing about flow and structure is that a lot of flow people wind up never being able to pay a bill. You know, they're like, they're always broke, right? Just go to spot. Go to spot and meet all the broke flow meisters. It's okay though, because people who are flow meisters don't seem to care about being broke. You know, it just takes a lot of courage to marry one. And the uh, and of, but of course, a lot of the flow meister women marry these flow meister men, which is also a bit of a disaster in marriage, because you can't both be off to yoga when there's three hours till Shabbos and there's still no chillant made. You know, he's going to poetry reading, she's going to yoga. And they're both looking at, like, who's making the chillin'? You know, and they both point to each other at the same time. You know, and then, and then they, they finally decide they'll, they're going to eat out for lunch. Right? They're going to they're gonna get invited somewhere. Where? They'll worry about that after shul. Shabbos day. That's the way the flowmeisters like to work. I love when these flowmeisters show up at my house randomly and we're like, uh, okay... I guess I'll have Shabbos with my kids next week then. You know, and we invite them in and give them like, you know, all the delicacies and sing the songs with them and have them drink all my craft beer and everything. And, and at the end, they're like, just amazing how it always works out for us. <laughs> and my wife and kids and I are just like, yeah, isn't that amazing? Flowmeisters are so naive. 
you know, the, the expense they're placing on everybody else, you know, is, and, and they just think like all these miracles are happening everywhere. <laughs> Food's just like coming out of nowhere. You know. Whole Shabbos meals. Now, it takes one to know one. I'm probably getting paid back for all the years I did that. Because as a flowmeister, I did that, like, for years. I used to do that until I got married. Like, my, my three years in Israel was, Shabbos plans are something you make after prayers. And I remember, like, I refused to get in God's way. So, like, people would be like, it would be like Friday morning, and people would be like, hey, you want to come with us to so-and-so's house? And I'd be like... I don't want to commit yet. But I'll, I'll take the address and keep it open. Anyway, but there is something to say about Flowmeisters. I mean, as long as you're not doing what I just described, i.e. having all your miracles on other people's expense, the um, as long as you're not doing that, there, there is a lot to say for it. Because you know, Flowmeisters get, do get miracles. They get amazing stuff all the time. My wife called me in JFK. Uh, so on my way out back to Israel for Lag Bohemia. She called me and she said she searched everywhere and she found a place for 7,000 shekels for three nights. Two rooms with a bunch of beds in them for three nights. 7,000 shekels up north for the great pilgrimage to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. My answer to her began with an N and it had one syllable. What do you think my answer was? No. It was not even a diplomatic, like, oh, well, you know, let's see. No, it was just simply no. And not that it wouldn't have been a great deal and God would have covered it, because in the honor of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, he would certainly take care of all expenses. The answer was no. And on the morning of Lag Bohemer, when everyone was heading up to the tomb, I still had nowhere to stay and nowhere to eat. With, and I've got, you know, we're nine. Our family's nine. You know, it's not like some guy with a backpack. And I went to the mikvah in Jerusalem that morning. Someone asked me when I'm going up to Rabbi Shimon. I said, we're leaving after prayers. And, and uh, he says, where are you staying? And I said, I have no idea. But I just told my family they should all pack for three days. And lo and behold, someone overheard me in the mikvah. And by the time we put the last thing in the car, including sleeping bags and just in case, last thing in the car, I get a phone call that for 2,000 shekels, that's about $530 a night. Sorry. Yeah? Yeah. No, no. It's about $530 altogether. We have a mansion, a two-story mansion, balconies off every bedroom, uh, giant downstairs living space with a huge living room and a big kitchen and a dining room and I mean a mansion for the whole entire price was 2,000 shekels and by the time I had driven an hour I called a student of mine in Svat who happened to be in the supermarket buying Shabbos food for Shabbos which was going to be the following day it was Friday and and I said, uh, do you mind if my wife and kids come for Shabbos? On us, obviously. And managed to send him my credit card number to pay for all of his meal. And he's got a big family, too, and all of our meal. And 
hour later, driving up north, all set. So there is something to be said for flow, but not on other people's expense. And if anything, flow, you can flow some ditch towards these people too. But what I was saying before is all the flow meisters generally um, ha are broke. And structured people are often in need of work as well. And they, but they don't realize that they just have to get together. Because you, you can have five structured people for every flow person. So someone who's got a lot of flow can, uh, someone who's got a lot of flow can have a staff of about five structures, which means now five families are e eating. Six with the flow family. You can have six families eating, you know, making a good living instead of, instead of uh, six people without paychecks. And, the, and, the, and that flow, you know, just because you're structured doesn't mean you don't have values. If you're a structured person, you could be very into your values. But to be connected to someone who's in the flow, in, as, meaning as an employer, the, um, you, 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 your values are getting out there because you're the only person you're going to work for anyway is someone whose values you agree with. The flowmeister's values are going to be connected to your values. And that's why I've been making an appeal to people to join my club because uh, I have a club called the YomTovMediaClub.com where people help support the work I'm doing so that I can hire structure people and keep, keep you understand, to keep, get it out there. Like More and more people should be getting more and more of a message as, with as much media as possible with more structure people, which is, you know, it costs money. So I created a club. So if you're listening to this, stop saying maybe I should join this club and join the club, please. Thank you. YomTovMediaClub.com. Yeah. Why do you assume automatically that flow people have more value than structured people? The flow people? I'm saying the way you're saying you're like, but structured people also value. I was saying the uh, yeah, don't listen to the also part. That was my own. Oh. Yeah, you tried public speaking without making any errors. <laughs> that was my error. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You could even say structured people have better values than flow people. Because <laughs> some flow people are like, you know. They have values, but when they're really in the flow, maybe they think those values are suddenly like, we can flow out of the values too, where structured people are much stricter about their values. They, if anything, they might be uh, even more in touch with their values. What's that? For flow and structure? In one human being? Yeah. I met some in my life. They were always managing companies or something. It's a managerial position, you know, but it... How many people manage? How many people work? You know, it's probably one to fifty, I suppose, on the world. You know, it's probably a one to fifty ratio. People have both. Sometimes you meet the both people, and they're very special people, and they get—they're usually highly paid people because they can really handle a lot, a lot. In one human being. Um, I just want to mention one more thing since I'm talking to also live to thousands of people is that if you watch my classes every day, that means that we're friends and you need to be sending me WhatsApps and, and I'm happy to help you as an individual. The, uh, what happens, I keep traveling to the U.S. and other countries and I meet people who are watching every single day. Like the husband and wife don't... Like husband and wife duos don't miss a day. And, and I apologize, by the way, that it's been erratic lately because I've been traveling a lot, but they... If you're feeling that close to me, 
it's not really fair that I don't get to be close to you. And I know you're probably thinking that I'm like some kind of celebrity guy who like the last thing I want is a WhatsApp from you and your wife. And but it's actually the opposite and my heart hurts. Every time I meet them it's weird. I you, they think they're making me happy. You know, like we watch you every day and they think like I'm going to be all excited and I'm like my heart pines for the pe- the souls that were put on the planet for me to guide and for it to be a one-way relationship where I'm like guiding all these people without having any sense of them is it's I, I don't have the adjective to describe it except it feels negative feels negative I'm not here to be a rock star I'm here to touch lives and, and being connected totally to this to this job of mine of this contribution of touching the world and, and this goes for you people in the room too like I'm I'm here to be with people I'm not here to you know just be some kind of like talking head some idea man or some like celebrity or something I'm not interested in any of that I want to be I want to be connected to people like two over here so um, back to us find me my whatsapp is uh, is zero five two oh sorry um, scratch that plus nine seven two five two eight three four four six six four plus nine seven two five two eight three four four six six four um i am going to mention that uh oh that i love constructive criticism too and especially if you're a great torah scholar and have better sources than mine i would love to know those sources and also if i ever say something wrong like this lady just helped me um the uh i really would appreciate if people would correct me because i'm stuck kind of in an unrebukable position and I need rebuke to keep myself. I want the whole point of this is truth, and and if I said something that wasn't like really lined up with truth, the way it should have been or could have been, I want those comments. And uh, but I will warn that I don't answer my phone, so it's really WhatsApp only or text for those who are, have the black hatitude. Text only people, you know. And I I pity the fool. Who ain't got text? Because, uh, but they could be listening to me on the phone line. But good luck reaching me. So actually, there's a dial-in on tour anytime for these classes. Okay, enough of those logistics. Back to us. The um, so this. Oh, there was one more thing I want to say is that Flowmeisters should be taking a loan for for twelve thousand dollars for half a year from a bank. And they should be taking a loan of $12,000 and they should be paying $2,000 a month to some really great structure person. And by the end of the fourth, fifth month, they'll not only will have paid off the loan, the loan will be gone. The structure person will meet now to a whole other family making a living or at least an individual if they're single. And, and you will be now, you as a Flowmeister will be on the map. Like, this dude's flow, in my opinion. But I'm only judging by your skateboard and your, your uh, uh, druzy pants and, and your cool haircut and all that stuff. So you definitely look like a Flowmeister to me. You, you should be making more money than me in half a year. Just walk into a bank and borrow $12,000. 
you don't even need, you can use your skateboard as collateral. They don't ask for, no bank asks for collateral for a $12,000 loan. They don't care what you own. <laughs> they don't care what you own, they don't care what you don't own. They, they, unsecured loans for $12,000 are nothing. I mean, my, my credit card bill right now is like 14000 I think, already. So the, they do not care what you own. Take, by the way, find someone to hire before you take the loan. <laughs> Figure out your best idea you got get someone who's an implementer, a great structure person, hire them, hire them, and pay them exactly on time, $2,000 a month. And you will see that you will have paid off your loan about four months into it. And, and you will be making a living and this person's gonna be making a living. All off your best idea. Got it? Okay, when are we gonna check in with you? <laughs> you want a month to figure this out? Yeah. Great. So today is, uh, today is, uh, where are we holding? Can you come say hi? Just, I want my, my fans to see you. Would you say hi online? Come here. I just wanted a lot more witnesses than these people. Because it sounds a little scary. What's your name? Aaron. Everyone, this is Aaron. And Aaron's, Aaron's like, we're cut from the same cloth. It's just, I keep my hair on the side. <laughs> we're like, we're like, built to be together. You know? So, so the, um, anyway, but the, but what we're going to do is a month from now, what did we say today was June what? 11th. So by, what's the next month? 7-11. By 7-11. I was just at 7-11 Muncie last week, which is where all the tuna bagels are. Anyway, by 7-11. Eleven, please God, you'll have your best idea, a structure type person hired to implement it, and, uh, and a twelve thousand dollar loan to pay him. Mm-hmm. I don't have any credit. You don't need no credit. Okay. Yeah. Do you have bad credit? No. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Amazing. And not only that, you can take out a. You know, he doesn't even need a bank loan. He can just take out a credit card. A couple of them. You know, any credit card that will give you a couple thousand dollar line. Just pay the interest that way. It'll be high interest, but, you know, you don't even need that. You can just, they are always trying to sell us credit cards, as you might have noticed. You can, just, you can literally just take out credit cards, go to an ATM, and just keep handing this guy money every month. Okay? All right. You're going to be a very successful man, and the world will be greatly impacted by your dreams. Oh, it's here for Aaron. Um, I'm going to lend you my one of my structure guys over here. This is Tuvia, Tuvia, Aaron, because I'm leaving town anyway. He'll, he'll just kind of help you dial it in a bit. Okay. You never stop thinking of ideas, Aaron. You need your best idea. Oh, meaning think of which idea you want to use. Yeah. Okay. Okay, you pass him off him. He'll tell you which ones are best monetized. Some ideas you can monetize a lot better than others. You know, some some ideas are, you know, highly monetizable, and you'd never have thought you could monetize the idea. Okay. Um, anyway, we're we're back on humility. The definition of humility in Judaism is that you are great, awesome. awesome.
And who made you that way? God. God. And if you're not acting awesome, what are you doing to God's face? Spitting. You're spitting in God's face. If you're not living awesome, you're spitting in God's face. And we got to be really careful of that of that false humility called I'm nothing, which is from the dark side. That's the dark side's definition. And that's exactly what will get you paralyzed to make a difference. That's exactly what will hold you down and keep you from making the difference you were born to make. Now, that's the definition of humility. Moses Moses knew he was awesome. <laughs> Moses, Moses didn't need any convincing. Like You guys might need a little convincing that you have a soul that's powered by the infinite. Moses did not need that kind of convincing. You understand? He didn't, you didn't have to like take Moses out for a beer and discuss this with him. On the other hand, I have to take a lot of people out for a beer and discuss things with them about their souls. Okay? He does not need that. What? You like to go out for a beer? We could talk all about your soul over beer, Moses, but I'll be, I'm going to be back Sunday. Okay? Monday. Monday. Okay, except Sunday night I'm already running my seminar. Went back? Is it irresponsible for me to land at uh, 5.15 to teach a seminar at 6.30 in Jerusalem? You guys want to take bets? I'll be there on time. First of all, I only travel with carry-on. My car's... I have a card. I slide a card. Israelis have cards. So, and then... uh, And my car's going to be parked about 100 feet from the terminal. Train would be faster, but it only drops me at Tachana. I need to, need to get to the hall. Yeah, it is rush hour. I'll figure it out. God will give me, please God, help. And on time isn't necessarily exactly 6.30 because it's everyone has to register at 6.30. So I'll come sliding in while people are registering. Seminar this week, possible youth seminar. Sunday, Sunday. Are you leaving also? I'm leaving Saturday night. <laughs> Are you really? Yeah. Safe travels. Thank you. You're so lucky you get to be in Israel till Saturday. You outdid me. Now, here we go. What does it mean, then, who you are? Meaning if you're... Okay, you're awesome. That's great. But who, who are you really, though? Meaning what about your self-image? What is your self-image? So the answer is that you are actually, and this is, I mean no offense when I say this, but you are actually no one. You are no one. This is the magic, is to be no one. You are no one. I mean, think about it. Think about it. If you got rid of all your self-image, like, you have a self-image? Yeah. You have a self-image? Self-image, self-image. Some of you have positive self-image, some of you have negative self-image. You have a self-image? Yeah. What if we got rid of that? Who would you be? No one. No one. You'd be just like Moses. No one. Moses didn't have a self-image. Have you ever thought about the term self-image? Strange term, self-image. Self, I think we know what that means. But what's the word image come from? What's the, what's it short for? What? What's image short for? Imagine. What's another word that has to do with image? Perception. Well, imagine. Imagine. Imagination. Image. I forgot to put on Do Not Disturb. Just any time I get a call, let me know. 
Self-image means this imaginary self. Now, keeps calling, by the way. Two different people. Okay, hold on, everybody. I'm just t turning off my uh, ringer. I didn't want to do it, but now I realize people are getting a little aggressive. So, I told you I don't take calls. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, what's your name? Maxine. Maxine. Tell me, do you need your imaginary self? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Do we, do you, and what's your name? Sophia. Sophia, do you live as if you need your imaginary self? Good for you. Excellent. Excellent. How about you? You live as if that's going to be important? Sophia's unique. Probably there's one at, or two out of all 30 of you, or however many you are, there's probably only one or two of you that have come to the point where they realize that it just doesn't serve them. It doesn't serve them. It's not worth having. I mean, think what a headache is. I think what a headache self-image is. And just think of the discomfort of walking into a wedding with a self-image. You know, because first of all, no one knows you there, so now you're really in trouble. So what are you going to do? Like, get a glass of alcohol and just start telling everyone who you are for the next couple of hours? And that's what most people do. Drink a little alcohol and then just start talking as much about yourself as you can. <laughs> to a bunch of strangers who don't even care, who aren't going to remember you afterwards. But it is quite uncomfortable to walk into a wedding with a self-image. The imaginary sense of self, which you're going to have to constantly reiterate, and you know, and and, uh, and don't forget, you got to defend it too, you know, because it's very easy once you have a, an imaginary self. It's very easy for someone to step on it. I mean, it, it it don't take much. And by the way, I apologize now already if I've stepped on your imaginary self. Like earlier, I spoke about boring litfish towns, you know. If I stepped on your imaginary self, I really apologize. <laughs> and, um, and, and also, um, just anything else I might have said today that might have upset your imaginary self. But you realize the only thing that could have ever upset you is that your imaginary self got stepped on. Now, don't forget, your imaginary self is bleeding at all times. <laughs> your imaginary self always has a 50-stitch wound. Wide open. You need emergency care with stitches, but you don't get it. Instead, everyone you meet is holding a bag of salt. And you're just kind of hoping no one throws it on your imaginary self. And so the best way to keep them from throwing it on your imaginary self is to somehow dominate the situation with either your looks or your smarts or your wit or your humor. Uh, you figure out some way to beat this. And then you know, if you can just perfectly scare everyone away, you know, maybe your imaginary self will survive the interactions of a day. <laughs> and and it and it's a real disaster because it's first of all it's you, it's false, not tr it's not who you really are. And so so like, and we all know that that if you lie, you're gonna have to back that up with a lot more energy of lying. You know, just to cover things. And and also, self-image is crazy too. The imaginary self's crazy in that it's, it's an untruth that's following you everywhere you go. 
and and here's the weird thing is that with an imaginary self you tend to have different um, shades of the imaginary self depending on who you're talking to so like you might have one self when you're talking to an old friend you might have another self when you're talking to a, a multi-million dollar businessman and then you might have a totally another imaginary self when you talk to a, a woman who you find attractive and you understand you got a lot of imaginary selves going on and you got to keep track of each one because each one's got its own little personality you've developed and and it's like when do you sleep <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. Let me, let me teach you how to turn it off. That was the three-strike rule right there. You know about the three-strike rule with phones? You have to be over, like, 60 for this to happen. But the, um, no, it's all right. It's the three-strike rules. One is, one is your phone's on, strike one. Two is it rings, strike two. This is the four-strike rule. Three, strike three, you're out. But the, the four-strike is that you're so before the technology era that you don't know how to silence a ringer till you answer. You understand? Like, like you think. And strike five is if you're male. Because the reason phones have ringers is for, your, for a purse. You understand? Like, no ringer in your purse, no phone answering. You know, whereas they have male phones which vibrate and every man knows he's going to call and it doesn't have to be a public announcement that he's popular but it might be good for the imaginary self-image that you got your phone suddenly ringing you know not to mention it's almost as good as smoking cigarettes to get you out of a social situation <laughs> smokers were so excited when it moved outdoors because it's like it's constant uh, constant ability it's the funniest thing I was in an outdoor Hasidic rave, you know, otherwise known as a tish. And I was in an outdoor Hasidic rave with about 800 men, and but it was outdoors, you know, like bleachers outdoors. It was the it was the last night of Pesach, and here we are at this party under the stars. And, but it was crowded. And, uh, the guy next to me wanted to go get a cigarette, and you're allowed to smoke on Yontif, and and uh, not that I think you should, especially on Passover, because. I mean, of all holidays, on the holiday of our freedom, you're going to smoke nicotine, the one thing you have no freedom from. You know, that is the holiday you should not be involved in habitual things, especially tobacco. So, you know, you know what the guy says to me? We're outdoors, on bleachers, you know, overlooking the Rebbe and the Hasidim. And he tells me, this is a way a smoker sometimes is letting you know he's going to have a cigarette. He says, I'm going to go get some fresh air. <laughs> I'm gonna go get some fresh air. So I was like, "Is this not fresh air? Is there something you need to tell me about this air? Should I be coming out too?" You know. And the, and then uh, hello, and the, uh, and the funniest thing is his fresh air is breathing in smoke. Like his fresh air is, is gonna be, there's gonna be smoke in his lungs. Like he's gonna go get some fresh air up with that so um, the imaginary self is you know you got to keep track of it and it's you've told everyone you've told everyone you meet something else about yourself and then 
The imaginary self is a limited self, which means there's stuff you just don't do. I don't know if that's dishes, windows, or or uh, floors, but there's stuff you just don't do because it doesn't fit within the realm of your self-image. I've seen whole neighborhoods go to crap. I've seen, I've seen whole neighborhoods just go down the down the the toilet bowl. Whole neighborhoods, property values decreased into half in a matter of two months because something went wrong in that neighborhood and no one felt they could stand up against it. And so instead of it being dealt with on the spot, by people stepping up and saying, well, my self-image comes from God, and if it means I have to stand up, stand up against the evil going on around here and be that guy, which no one wants to be that guy, but, but if God's the source of my image, so then I'll be that guy, and I'll make that difference, as scary as that may feel to this imaginary self. And instead, no one stood up. And it was kind of interesting. A couple of women stood up. Like there were a couple of women humble enough to stand up. And what was interesting about that was that it was a man's job, this particular job, because it it was going to require great aggression and um, uh, intense aggression, and meaning very you needed you needed testosterone for this one. And so not only did the women fail, but all five women lost their homes, and their lo- like they lost everything because they lost their minds being the men for the community. And so none of them even lived there. Everyone else stayed, lost their property values, and stayed. And the five women that were the men, they played the man. Uh, They uh, lost their marbles. Thank God all five of them are fine today. They're all stable. They all got help. But part of the therapy was they had to leave. So it's not a joke, this stuff. We, uh, there will be times all of us will have to step up, step up our game in a situation where we wouldn't want to have to do that. And there's sometimes we're just called into action, but we gotta take the call. It's scary, but that's what happens, you know. There's always a snake in the garden. I mean, all of us are trying to build our personal garden garden of Eden, you know. Don't you want the Garden of Eden? Like, you want to be a homeowner one day with a husband, fishbowl, and maybe a couple kids, and everything should look great. There's always a snake in the garden. Always a snake. God's always got that snake there to help us use our attributes powerfully and become somebody. It gives us a chance to to you know, use attributes that aren't natural to us. You'll find a lot of people in marriage, you know, Jews sorry, did I say Jews? Rabbis, you know, we're always at the weddings, you know, under the chuppah and stuff. But we uh, we actually don't prefer weddings us rabbis you know what we prefer anniversaries we like anniversaries and it takes all it takes for a wedding is a pulse but anniversaries require you to step up in your ways that uh, 
whatever you're eating there, got there. No, just dump a little out. So you, <laughs> no, you can take, take. Just stop crinkling that bag. It's like I don't know what's going on with me in that bag over there. <laughs> um, marriage causes you to have to pull out attributes. This is the beauty of marriage, and this is why it's so difficult to to spend life single because it's um, because single life will never ever did I say difficult <laughs> it's pretty easy to stay single but it difficult emotionally but, but staying single will never call those attributes up you just never touch those attributes and by the way the reason why marriage what, the reason why breaking up a marriage is absolute hell like, just ask anyone who's been divorced if they've been through hell, and they'll tell you they have. And many will tell you that it was years ago, and they're still in hell. So, one of the worst hells in the world is divorce, and and it has to be hell because because when you're going to be when your attributes are going to be pushed to the end, like meaning there's attributes that you didn't think you possessed that you have to now call into action because God's your the causer of your greatness. And so you're going to have to humble yourself and call those attributes into into effect. You're going to have to start being employed, attributes you didn't even think were there. But I promise you, whoever you marry is going to pull them out of you. And you need to have hell waiting for you so that you'll keep moving, that you'll do it. You understand? If you don't have hell on the other side, meaning divorce, if you don't have hell as the alternative, You'd never, ever pull those things out of you. You just wouldn't. Human beings, I don't care how big you're into working on yourself. I know a lot of people are really into working on themselves. But as long as they're single, they don't know what it really is to work on yourself. You have to have no exit. I mean, the only exit you got is divorce, but it's going to be hell. You have to have hell as the, as the alternative to become great as a human being. And the only way to do that is through marriage. The bond of marriage, the... the irrevocable connection that's, uh, that forces you to, to bring up the greatness that God put inside of you is only through that. If it's too late for anyone listening to this because they already got divorced, so you have two options. Either remarry the same creep you were married to, <laughs> or which is a mitzvah in the Torah for a man to bring back his divorcee and marry her. It's one of, one of the 613. Meaning that day he could put on his tefillin that's one mitzvah and he could even bring back his divorcee and he's fulfilled two mitzvahs that day and um, and the uh, and the other option is to just marry somebody else but I promise you it's going to be rough and and you're going to have to treat now actually second marriage they should really know what the hell is now that they've been to hell <laughs> they should know not to blow it the second time um, anyway no one is the goal. Now, for those of you, because i got to wrap this up, because as soon as I see Rabbi Ellis in the back, that means I'm probably even overtime. Am I overtime? Oh, I'm not at four yet? Oh! What? It's 4.15. i got to go. Um, just, to, just to let you know, though, with the goal of being no one, the soul is the no one. Soul. No one. You're just a soul. The next is uh, you have... Uh, your personality, which you could retrieve, that's the work I do in the possible years, retrieving your original personality, which was when you were like two and a half, which is long gone.
but that personality is still there. That's your actual, that's that personality God gave you. So you have your personality. Then you have your skill sets. Kochas and nefesh. Everyone has certain skill sets. Like I spoke about before, I'm, my skill sets are on the flow, mind. You understand? But I, don't give me a hammer and nails, or you're going to be taking me to the hospital with a thumb going, you know, like that. And, um, and I'm not a structure guy. And so you, you do have built in instinctual skill sets that are built for you. And uh, that's also can be part of who you are, and, or at least what you do. And, uh, and lastly, is God calling us into all these situations, which I just spoke about marriage or community. You're always getting called up. So you can temporarily wear the hat of that situation and be that person and do that task and make that difference. So if you're afraid of getting rid of your self-image, you don't have to be so afraid because you've got four things going for you. Besides the no one, you got personality, you got uh, skill sets that are built for you, specifically yours, and you've got all the hats God's con- constantly calling you into being, which you can just uh, apply those hats to your life and make that difference with God powering the whole thing because he can, he can give you the successful ability to be way outside the realm of what you'd call your comfort zone and be successful and effective there. Shalom everybody, it was a pleasure. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com